Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, a podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, you will get to hear a very important message from Pastor Roy on the love of God. Pastor Roy is going to look at three different aspects of God's love. The love of God can often be misunderstood, but getting a grasp on this topic is a matter of life or death. Here is Pastor Roy from the pulpit at Bethesda Church. All right, today we're going to talk about the love of God, and I thought, you know, if I get stuck in Israel and I don't make it back, what message do I want the people to be left with? This is the last message Pastor Roy brought before he was trapped in Israel. Um, It would be the love of God. It really would, because when we think in terms of our lives and and even uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever you want to say, they'll say what people need to know is that they are loved. They're loved. And if we cannot read just a few verses in Scripture and understand how much God loves us. I mean, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and I still, I do not have a very big concept of the love of God. I really don't. And I don't think, I don't think we can begin to scratch the surface of how much God loves us. And I thought it would be good just to revisit the words of that last song we sang. Because we sing these songs and we don't really let the words sink in. How deep the Father's love for us. Put your own name in there. (laughs) How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Only because of the Father's love do we even have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. He says, Behold the man upon a cross. If we want to grasp the love of God, get a fresh glimpse of Jesus on the cross and why he was there. My sin, Roy's sin, your sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I mean, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus gave his life for, that you and I could be in relationship with him in a loving relationship. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. And when I read that last phrase, Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I think about Muslims. I think about Buddhists. I think about Hindus who do not know that Jesus' wounds have paid for their sin. They are trying to do good works. They are trying to do good things to appease a false god. 
when the God of the universe has loved us this much that he stretched himself out on the cross for us. And so today I want to focus on three aspects of God's love. You talk about trying to condense down God's love in a message. It's impossible, but we're going to at least attempt to address some aspects of God's love. If you open your Bibles to Psalm 136, Psalm 136 has a refrain in it. At the end of every verse, his love endures forever. Some versions will say his steadfast love endures forever. He starts off this psalm, and we'll just read the first three verses here. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. So one thing that we see here that is very clear and apparent, even at the outset of this and even throughout this entire psalm, is this, his unwavering commitment. He is committed to you and I because his love will endure forever. It is steadfast. This love that the psalmist is talking about is God's covenant love, his faithful love, his loving kindness. Actually, this word that is used here is the word hesed. You may have heard it, H-E-S-E-D. And sometimes you'll see it C-H-E-S-E-D. But hesed, it is the word used predominantly in the Old Testament, talking about the faithful covenant love of God. In this Psalm 136, it's talking about God's eternal love for Israel. God's saving love. This was actually a hymn of praise for Yahweh. It was sung at annual celebrations and festivals in the temple. The second half of each verse, his steadfast love endures forever, was sung either by the entire congregation or the choir. In response to the first half, which was probably sung, they said, by a priest, a Levite, or a choir. It is God's loyal love. His loyal love, related to the faithfulness to his covenant. So how, what is our response to God's unwavering commitment to us? You know, Paul says in the New Testament, nothing can separate us from God's love. That's encouraging to me. Even in Israel, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing at all. My response should be this, show appreciation to God for his loyal love. Show appreciation to God for his loyal love. That's what he's saying. Give thanks to the Lord. Show appreciation for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks. Show appreciation to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Show appreciation to this God for his loyal love to us. Steve Farrar tells a wonderful story about a Texas family who took appreciation a bit too far. A lot of rich Texans were broke in the 1980s, but there were still a few rich Texans left. One of them recently was talking to a banker in New York, and after several minutes of conversation, the Texan took a liking to the New Yorker. He said, I have a great idea, he said. Why don't I send my jet up to New York this weekend to pick up you and your wife? We'd like to have you join us at our son's ranch outside of Austin. He's got 100,000 acres of land stocked with quarter horses, purebred cattle, and exotic game. 
Yep, I'm real proud of the boy. He earned it all by himself. Sounds like your son has been very successful for a young man, replied the banker. Just out of curiosity, how old is your son? He's eight, replied the Texan. Eight, said the shocked banker. How on earth did an eight-year-old boy earn enough money to buy a ranch like that? He got four A's and one B, <laughs> replied the Texan. That's overdoing it just a bit, wouldn't you say? Don't get any ideas, Ryan. Uh, you know, we might take him out for a drink at Casey's or something, you know, but uh, not much beyond that. But no, showing appreciation, we can never show too much appreciation for the Lord and all that he has done for us. How do we do that? By thanking him for who he is. What does it say he is? He is the God of gods. Now, if we were to take the time, and we might, I don't know how much time we're going to have this morning, but if, to go back to Israel when they're in an Egyptian bondage, remember the ten plagues came on the children of Israel, and all those plagues, each one of them, went over at least one or several Egyptian gods. Water turned into blood. The Nile was their means of water supply. And what did God do? He showed that his God was greater than the Egyptian God. He brought flies upon the land. He brought locusts. He brought frogs. Frogs showed that God, the, the, the fertility God, was the God that he showed that they couldn't control the frogs. He brought boils on people. And it was to show that the Egyptian God of healing could not overpower our God. He's the God of gods. We need to thank him for who he is. In 2 Corinthians 5, 13, or Chronicles 5.13, it says, The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Why? They were praising God for who he was who he is. That's what we need to praise him for. Secondly, by acknowledging him for what he has done. What he has done. And we look down through this psalm, and we're going to look at it a little bit later, all the things that God did for the children of Israel. And so we acknowledge him for what he has done. You know, Coach John Wooden coached the UCLA Bruins for a number of years and was a very successful coach. He always told his players, whenever you get an assist where a player passes you the ball and you make a basket, you make sure you recognize that guy. Point at him. <laughs> he said, you recognize him. You point at him. And you recognize him. And one of the players said, wait a minute, coach. What if, what if that player's not looking? And he gave a classic answer. He said, they're always looking. <laughs> they're always looking. They're always looking for appreciation. And the point is, God is always looking for appreciation from his people. We can never over-appreciate God and thanking Him for who He is and for what He has done. Another way we show appreciation is we sing with admiration to God for His loyal love. We do this every Sunday. We gather to sing to show appreciation and admiration to God for His loyal love for us. In Psalm 89, 1 and 2, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. 
I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. When we understand how much God loves us and what he has done for us, we burst forth in praise and song. There are times when I'm all alone, all by myself, and the thing I love to do is just yell out and sing out to God. I remember right before we were first married, we lived in a basement apartment. And I moved in about a couple months before we were married, and so I lived there by myself. And I would love just to crank up the stereo and just sing at the top of my lungs and just praise God, because we were back, neighbor, quiet neighborhood, and occasionally my landlady said, I heard you singing down there. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Praise God for his wonderful love for us. Not just in church, but throughout the week to praise him and to glorify him for who he is. His loyal love is expressed in his creation. It is. He goes on to say, look in verses 4 through 9 these verses. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever because of his creation. One day there was a zookeeper. He noticed that this monkey was reading two books. And he was reading the Bible and Darwin's The Origin of Species. And in surprise, he asked the ape, why are you reading both those books? Well, said the monkey, I just wanted to know if I'm my brother's keeper or my keeper's brother. <laughs> he wasn't sure. And you know what? If we do not understand God as a creator, we cannot begin to love him for who he is and what he has done. We need to be reminded. Go into the nursery and just look in the face of those little babies. How could you not see creator God in that little baby and what he has done? The beauty of that. Grandparents, I know, the smartest kids in the world are your grandchildren. <laughs> The best-looking kids in the world are your grandchildren. And it's, it's the Creator God who has done that for us. Well, let's go on. The second point, His loving action. His loving action. How do we see God's loving action for Israel? He delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. How long were they in Egyptian bondage? Over four hundred years you talk about being in a straitjacket you can't get out of a straitjacket they could not get out of bondage themselves it took someone greater than them to get them out and the reason God delivered them out of bondage his great love and what was the reason he was delivering them out of bondage if you take the time to go back and read the account you will find the reason he was delivering them out of bondage was so that they would go and worship God. The reason you and I have been delivered from our sin is that we will worship God with our lives. Here, look in Exodus. During that long period, over 400 years, the king of Egypt died. 
The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. See, he's a covenant-keeping God, that steadfast love, that faithfulness of God. Over 400 years of history had transpired, and God says what? He remembered his covenant. Does that mean that God almost forgot about his covenant, that he had to remember it? No. What it's saying is that God was now in a position, it was time to begin to apply that covenant. I'm going to honor my covenant now. That's why I'm remembering it. And I'm going to apply it to my people. A couple important reminders we need to have here in relationship to when we're going through a hard time. Remember, they were in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. So here's a couple things to keep in mind. When you and I are going through a hard time and it seems like it's been 400 years, <laughs> maybe it's been four days or four weeks or maybe it's been four years, but here's a couple things we need to keep in, in, in our perspective as we think about God's love that we don't get it out of whack. Number one, difficult circumstances do not mean that God is absent. Because what did we just read? God heard their cry for help because their, of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And it tells us later in another passage that he saw the misery his people were in. So God, even in difficult circumstances, do not think that God is absent. He is not absent. He is taking notice of everything you're going through, every pain. Secondly, delayed intervention does not mean that God does not care. God greatly cares. In fact, it says back in that earlier passage we just looked at that the king of Egypt had died. God was even waiting for a transition of leadership. And even with that transition of leadership, maybe to show the Israelites with even a new leader, you can't deliver yourself. You need someone greater than a human leader to deliver you. And God brought Moses onto the scene. Covenant. What I want to remind us of is the word covenant was used 25 times in Genesis, and, and the first time it was used was right in here in Exodus chapter 2. I want to tell you a difference between contracts and covenants, because sometimes I think we get the words mixed up and we think that a contract is like a covenant, and it's not. They're very different. A contract, in terms of initiation, Contracts are made by the exchange of promises, whereas covenants are sworn by solemn oaths. God had sworn with a solemn oath that he was going to deliver his people. In fact, he even told Abraham when Abraham was asleep and he was establishing that covenant with Abraham, while Abraham was in a deep sleep, he says, know that for 400 years your people are going to suffer affliction. But I am going to deliver them and bring them out with great possessions, he told them. So God knew exactly how long they were going to be in slavery, and he knew how they were coming out of slavery. And you know what slavery is? Slavery is when your will is subject to somebody else, and you are forced to do something you cannot help but do. That's slavery. You are forced labor. You are forced. Your will is subject to to the person who is subjecting you by their power and authority. And that's where the Egyptians were. Another thing about contracts, 
and covenants. Contracts are limited by the terms of the exchange of property. This property is yours. This property is mine. While covenants, listen carefully, covenants involve an exchange of life. I am yours and you are mine. Contracts are based on profit and self-interest. Covenants call for self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. Contracts are temporary while covenants are permanent. God made a permanent covenant with his people. And that covenant involved his incredible love. And when did God begin to initiate that covenant? It says when the prayers of the Israelites reached God. When they began to cry out to God, God began to initiate his covenant with his people. So he said, I will remember my covenant with Jacob my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. And I think it was important for God to mention each generation because he was showing that even beyond Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was going to keep that covenant with every generation. It was a permanent covenant. In delivering us from sin's bondage, God's loving action delivered you and I from sin's bondage. I want you to notice the terminology that Moses uses in Exodus and see how that same terminology is used in the New Testament. I think this is important because it's showing what God was doing. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. Now look at this. I have done what? Come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. He came down to rescue what did God do in sending Jesus to earth, taking on human flesh? He sent him down to earth to rescue us from our sin. Did he not? Look at this terminology in John 6. But here is the bread that does what? Comes down from heaven. Which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here he's showing us that Jesus came to release us from the bondage of our sin because I cannot release myself. I'm in a straitjacket. I am subject to forced labor under the power and domination of Satan. And so is every person who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why young people will practice immorality over and over and over and over. You become a slave to immorality. Why? Because you can't stop yourself. You have a sin nature and you can't stop. That's why some people have an addiction to pornography and they go back to it over and over and over and over or whatever the case might be, they have an addiction. 
or gossip or whatever it is, there, there's a, or lying, telling the truth. Why? Because you are under the slave domination of Satan just as much as the Egyptians were. I mean, the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage. They could not free themselves from the Egyptian power. We cannot free ourselves from Satan's power. And what did God do? The greatest act of love he ever could have done. And here's what he says in, in Exodus 3.17. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery. Did you hear me? Up out of your misery. And the psalmist talks about in Psalm 40 that he was down in a horrible pit and God lifted him out of the pit. <laughs> Talking about salvation. His loyal love. Let me show you another verse here in Hebrew. His loyal love is expressed in the cross. Not just creation, but the cross. Look, Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity that so by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil. Okay? He's coming to destroy him who holds death, the power of death, the devil. Now watch this. And free those who all their lives were what? held in slavery by their fear of death, slavery to sin. You and I are a slave to sin until we come to Jesus Christ, and I can't free myself. I can't begin just doing good things, and that frees me of my sin. It's the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary that shed his blood. He took my sin. He took my penalty because sin requires a death. The greatest act of love, and it's interesting when it talks about how God was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. He said he was going to do it. Listen, if you go back and read it, he's going to do it with an outstretched arm. And what did Jesus do on the cross? Outstretched his arm. Showing how he was going to supply redemption for us. He says in the Exodus 6.6, 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Jesus died on the cross with outstretched arms. Moses, when the Red Sea parted, it says he stretched out his arm over the sea and the Red Sea parted. And it's interesting, when you look down in this passage in Psalm 136, look down in verse 12, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, he brought them out to him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And in the Hebrew where it says he divided the Red Sea, it means he cut it in two. Do you know what Jesus did when he made, he made the covenant with Abraham? He cut the animal in two. And he walked between the pieces. Here he cuts the Red Sea in two and his people go between the pieces of the Red Sea. God's deliverance. He has redeemed us. I will free you. Notice what he says. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. My friend, experiencing the love of God is understanding what Jesus did on the cross. 
the greatest act. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this than a man lays down his life for his friends. And by you trying to achieve your own salvation, you have rejected the death of Jesus on the cross. If you are going to earn it yourself, you have said no to Jesus. You have said no to his sacrifice. And there is no more sacrifice for sin. That's the only one. That's the only way I can be in a right relationship with a holy God. I think what great love. What great love. The third one is his faithful provision. How did God provide for the Israelites? He brought them out of Egyptian bondage with great possessions, and he provided an inheritance for Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey. (laughs) Everything they needed, he provided for them. What an inheritance he provided for the Israelites. Has he done the same for us? He has. Actually, in Exodus 3.8, here's what it says. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Mosquito Bites. All the ites are there. And what did he do for you and I? Providing an eternal inheritance for believers. An eternal inheritance. And how do we get that eternal inheritance? There's a guaranteed deposit that God has given us for this eternal inheritance. And what is that eternal deposit? It is the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of us. Here's what he says in Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this is important because the Holy Spirit is the thing that God uses to pour his love into our hearts. Here's the verse, our memory verse for this week. And hope does not disappoint us, Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That's how God pours his love into our hearts. And God works through the word of God. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God. So as you and I take in this word of God and I begin to understand more and more the heart of God. His faithful covenant love for me his provision for me through his death on the cross that's why Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes if they will just believe that God loved him enough to die for him and come to set him free from their slavery that you cannot free yourself from and I cannot free myself from and God through his Holy Spirit, has poured his love. Poured, not sprinkled, not dribbled. He poured his love into our hearts. And I think the most loving people on the face of the earth then should be believers. 
Why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts and therefore my heart is full of love like God's heart and therefore I should love, we should love one another. The love should be there in the church because we have been recipients of God's love. We want to give it back out to others. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I hope that you're encouraged this morning by the love of God and what He has done. We started at the outset of this message talking about how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turned his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. If you are here today and you do not have assurance of salvation, that you are a child of God, listen to these words. Here's what Jesus did for you and he did for me. Behold the man upon a cross. Would you realize that this man, Jesus, came to die for your sin? For my sin. My sin upon his shoulders. Put your name in there. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there on the cross until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I'm going to ask Donnie and Wes if they wouldn't mind just coming down here to the front for a moment. If you are here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is your invitation. He said, I'm not going to walk up there in front of all those people. Look what Jesus did for you. And you can just grab one of these guys by the hand and they can take you back in one of these rooms and talk to you. Open up the word of God and show how you can become a child of God today. You can walk out of here out of the straitjacket of sin and into the freedom of light. Now here's one thing I want to say about the danger of the slavery to sin. Most people in the slavery to sin have no idea they're in slavery. And you know why? Because Satan has blinded their minds. That's what the Bible says. He has blinded their minds that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And so we have many, many people running around in our world today, absolute slavery to sin, and they have no idea they're in slavery. And God wants to free you. And so feel free to come up and talk to one of these gentlemen during the prayer or afterwards. They can be here for a couple minutes, and even after we dismiss... Maybe then you would come up and say, you know what, I want to learn more. How can I have this personal relationship with God? My friend, that's my greatest concern.
And if God keeps us in Israel, then I must be supposed to be sharing it with somebody there too. And that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> so whatever God has, that's what we want to do. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.